You are listening to Rouge, White, and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. CFL podcast, the overreactions to week one edition. This is the traditional episode done by any football podcast, I think, across the interwebs. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe Pritchard, and I will start right up. Joe, how about them bombers? That was worth staying up to midnight for. How about it? How about it? You're lucky it wasn't in Winnipeg. <laughs> you might have gotten a lightning storm, and then you would have been up until like 3 a.m. for it. Oh, of course. So we're lucky it was in a dome. <laughs> right, exactly. BC losing at home. But we'll talk about that in just a moment. We're going to start with what is, I guess, what was opening day, as well as probably the lead story. And I got to admit, uh, Joe, I was really wondering if your CFL fandom had been shaken. I mean, just last week, we spent much time on the podcast talking about um, – not quite the same thing, but rather the slap on the wrist punishment given for a real serious no-no in any football league. It's just hands-on and official. This week, we had in the first quarter of the game, before the much-injured Zach Caleros even got to throw a pass, a late hit came on from Simone Lawrence um, in which we later found out he did not get a two-game suspension. However, he did not get ejected from the game. Now, Joe, I'm just going to go right into it. What did you think about this? Because I thought it really sucked. I'll tell you what I thought the appropriate punishment should be and why, but you tell me first. Okay. Well, first of all, I do want to make mention our good buddy, Dr. Rouge, uh, who was a co-host last year, has since given up the gridiron game for pretty much this exact reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were actually talking on Thursday night, and uh, he said he was having a little bit of, you know, he was feeling rather sad he couldn't be involved, but everything was, you know, his he's he made his decision and he's gonna live stick with it for sure mm-hmm. uh and i just said you know four plays into the game uh there was a hit that would have made you turn it off anyway so you're not missing anything mm-hmm. uh and then in the same drive we had a late hit by delvin bro that was completely unnecessary as well right and you would have i was kind of thinking hamilton was gonna just come unglued but uh, they didn't, but uh, we'll go into the game portion of things a little bit later. I think they're the. Is... I think they're just playing up. I think this is a result of the last couple of years. They're being the bad boys. They're being the bad boys of the CFL. June Jones made these guys angry. You know, made these guys like mean. I think. I think. At least on the defense. Well, I, I, they certainly made a lot of people angry, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them are wearing green, but a lot of them are not. So <laughs> let's just say it that way. Uh, so difficult. I mean, uh, up the whole process failed the officials in the Jonathan Rose case. I do see the CFL is doing what I, they feel they can in this case. Because uh, they, they, I don't remember the last time they leveled, leveled, levied a two-game suspension for an on-field event. Usually it's one, which usually gets bargained away in the appeal. Uh, so 
it looks like they're trying to make Lawrence sit for some portion of things. And my understanding is there's appeal forthcoming if one hasn't already been filed that this by the time you're listening to this. It's really hard for me to watch this go on and on and on. There needs to be a better process for this because that's the kind of hit that's going to drive people away from the game. Mm -hmm. uh, it probably ended Zach Claris's career. And it was completely Yeah, finished him off. Yeah, this is a guy. Uh, yeah, I, this I is... will say yeah. I don't think Calaros probably should have stepped on the field, but who am I to question a guy's competitive fire and qu and question him trying to continue the career he's chosen? That's not for me to say. That's for him to decide. But uh, that's probably done now, if I had to guess. But But this is the thing. It's not like the Ricky Ray thing. Like Ricky Ray did this last year, right? He wasn't looking like he should have been out there. And then when he was out there, coach should have pulled him. You know, Argos are getting blown out. Coach doesn't pull him. He gets hit on a freak accident. Right. You know, this dude, I mean, this is just short of headhunting. You know, I mean, I don't know the, if this could play. Even say just short. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think that you. Well, then again, I mean, the Thai Cats are playing like this. They seem to be playing this way. They played like this last year too, uh, so maybe maybe it is head hunting. Maybe it is. Um, I think that I think there's a real simple process, man. I think it's this zero tolerance. You want to get rid of this? Here's how you get rid of this. Because here's what I thought was ironic about this whole thing. Okay, so here's Simone Lawrence. He doesn't get ejected from the game. He gets a two-game suspension. Okay, Caleros whether or not his career is over, was put on the six-game injured list. He had to be taken out of the game, right? He, he, that hit changed the complexion of the game as well as being an illegal play, as well as being beyond unsportsmanlike. You know, that's like dangerous. That's into, again, that's into headhunter territory, okay? I think here's the way you do it. You knock that quarterback out of the game with any legal hit, you're out of that game. He goes on the six-game injured list, you're on the six-game injured list. And I don't care if teams that have the injured quarterback find a way to abuse this system and just keep you know, rolling the guy over on the injured list. I don't care. You know, you put that guy out. You should be out for at least the same amount of time as him. Don't you think? That's hard for me to agree to, though, and here's why. Okay. In this case, we have an obvious dirty hit. I yeah. don't. I don't even care about intent in this case. That's clearly against the rules. Right. What would happen though in your scenario is you have a play where there is that kind of contact, but it is a lot closer. It's it's during the action. Say Matt Nichols is notorious for ducking his head as the okay. pass rusher comes in. Well, what happens okay. if he ducks his head and you have the pass rusher attempting to hit the guy in the chest and the guy ducks his head right into it? You knock the guy out. He te he's, he's out. And it's not even uh, a hit that could be considered dirty. Sure, there's going to be a flag because oh, you can't well, hit okay. the head. But okay. – football is such a fast game that unless there unless it's clear 
to right. that it's a dirty play and it's a 25-yard penalty and an ejection, which it should be. Uh, I don't think there should be a two strikes rule when you invoke the 25-yard rule. It should be one no. strike and you're out. But yes. I'm not going to sit there and go, okay, just because we have a play that could be flagged for either a 15 or a 25, you have to sit the whole time that guy is out. I can't do that. Uh, you no, can, no, no, you no, 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 I can't. Case See, by you... case. Right. But I don't want that to be a blanket thing because, thing, because things happen quickly. Yeah, but again, you said it. It's obvious. Right. It's obvious. Look, there was a play in the Montreal game where the guy, the defensive player, managed to avoid the quarterback so well, you know, as he was going down, that he... You know, I mean, it looked like twins in the womb. He just slid over him and they called it. You know, they called it. They're like, you know, this is a, uh, you know, this is a late hit on the quarterback. Right. And it wasn't. He just, I mean, he missed him by like centimeters. It looked like something out of a Marvel movie. Right. And, uh, but what happened there? 10 yards to the Alouettes, they put him on the goal line. Big deal. (laughs) <laughs> you know, that dude didn't get suspended. That dude didn't get a fine, and he wouldn't. You know, I mean, um, our quarterback didn't have to leave the game at that point. But, uh, I mean, in that case, you know, no harm, no foul, right? I mean, okay, so the refs called it wrong. They lost the yardage, whatever, okay. But, you know, again, no harm, no foul. I mean, there's not going to be a concussion there. <laughs> you know, there's not going to be, you know, any loss of job there. But I think that, again, I mean, you said it twice. It's obvious. It's clear. I mean, how, how do you not throw him out of the game? Right. I'd like, to, I'd like to see the very clearly obvious ones be dealt with harshly. Sure. When you pull the 25-yard penalty out of the, bat, out of the row book, that should be accompanied with an ejection. That should be the way that right. goes. It should not right. be two strikes. I would like the league to ratchet up the discipline. As far as if it's a clearly dirty hit, maybe more than two games would be good. But you're going to also have a fight with the Players Association trying to do something like that. So I think the first step to take is to make the 25-yard penalty uh, in a an ejectable offense the first time and not the second. I think that's the right. first step yep. Yep. to sure. start moving yep. the culture I'm down the with right that. way. I'm down with that. Because I yep. don't think yep. you yep. can't – you you got to take small steps here because the Players Association won't let you go to the other extreme. Yeah, but you got to have some form of zero tolerance. That's it. Zero tolerance is the only thing that works in these situations, period. Right. That's... I'm not just talking about sports. I'm talking about everything. Look, they got this thing. Okay, let me give you a completely different example of this. Okay. They got this, they got this thing in Europe, zero tolerance, right? That means that if you register 0.01 on the blood alcohol test, you're done. You lose your license. That's it. Okay? And let me tell you, I can't tell you, every single party I went to in Budapest for, you know, on and off for 20 years, there was always somebody sober there that drove home. Always. It worked. It worked. <laughs> you know, this stuff, I mean, that's the way you get people to follow rules. And I mean, you know, this is this is for football, this is the one that could kill the sport. You know, uh, the late hits to the head, 
the concussion issues. That's what's going to like destroy this sport from being shown on TV, from from their parents uh, letting their kids play youth football. So, you know, zero tolerance. Okay. End uh, of story. I, I tend to agree with you in the scenario that we're describing with the Lawrence hit. Right. The I do want to point out though that zero tolerance is going to only be as good as the officials in the league can make it. So see, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to side with you on that with that caveat. Okay. Okay. Look, you you just hit on another point I wanted to comment on because you know what happened when that thing happened and he didn't get ejected and they keep showing it over and over and over on the replay TSN is just as bad as everybody else apparently. The first thought in my mind was isn't this what that extra booth replay official is for? They made such a big deal before the season about how, ooh, we're going to go to the central command. You know, They're going to have new powers and stuff like that. Okay, where were they on this? Where were they on Delvin, Delvin Bro later? I mean, come on. What, now it's not two strikes? Now it's three strikes and you're out? It takes, it takes three hits to uh, get one ejection? I mean, come on now. Come on. What are those guys for, Joe? That's a good question. We will find <laughs> out. We will find out as we go on that front. Okay. Uh, there's. I don't know how the process worked with that with that hit. Yeah. If the booth official was the one telling the officials on the field that that needed to be an upgrade to a 25 yard penalty or not, I'd like to think that they were involved in that. Uh, but I cannot say for sure on that. That'd be a yep. good question for somebody that knows a lot more about that than I do. <laughs> What you don't have friends in the referee court, you? Uh, not you're not yet. a, you're not on CFL referee Twitter. Uh, no, no, I am not. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right, let's talk. Uh, last week's games. Beyond that, uh, I was kind of. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get in trouble with the Canadian football gods for saying this, but actually, I was kind of surprised at how much I wasn't surprised. You know, I thought everything. Didn't, nothing really shocked me in this week one, including me going one in three in CFL pick. So, um, you know, me talking all this smack right now about how predictable everything was, take that with a grain of salt. In any case, uh, okay, so first game, opening night, kind of an anti-climax of an opening night game. Joe, don't you think the, the, the best was last, I think, this week? Yeah, I would say it uh-huh. was backwards. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, but you don't want that. This Saturday night game for this one. Um, again, you know, basically this entire game ended up being about losing your quarterback in the first quarter of the first game of the season. Again, this has happened a few times in history. Um, and, you know, by the end of the game, the Riders are running with a dude named Isaac Harker, who apparently is the second string quarterback next week. I mean, this guy went 8 of 14 with two picks. Um, I'm not sure what we can take away from this game other than, you know, the Tiger Cats are trying to instill fear any way they can. I mean, they looked generally good, but, you know, the bar was pretty low in this game. Uh, Any impressions from you on this one, Joe? Yeah, the Ryder defense is still uh, looking like it's going to be a strong point for them. Uh, They kept Jeremiah Mazzoli from going up and down the field, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if I felt this way until the final gun. But a little piece of me wanted to see, and this is the objective side of me, mind you, not the subject, not the bomber fan in me. 
kind of <laughs> wanted to see Harker pull that out at the end. But I have to admit to not having that feeling until after I knew he hadn't. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That, there just there just wasn't much to say about this game. I mean, again, you know, I kind of. This was the one game out of four I got, you know, without question. I mean, obviously, you know, I I figured the Tiger Cats were going to cover a four, four and a half point spread. You know, I thought they were, I thought they might have won a little bit more than this, but you know, the it's one of those late game kind of weird comebacks, you know, kind of thing. I I just didn't understand where the writers' points were coming from. I was watching it and just kind of hypnotized uh, by all the players going out i mean i don't know this can't this can't be a great game for the riders going forward um as far as after effects and 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 roster changes and whatnot uh and again i'm gonna reserve judgment on the tiger cats until next week again they seem to have all the tools uh they certainly have all the names but i don't know they're kind of playing against a uh two-thirds of a team by by the end of that game uh, I liked game two a little bit more, although it was really frustrating to watch these Alouettes choke. Uh, I'll ask you before we get into the game. Uh, this is overreaction week. So, I mean, are you regretting that 8-10 Alouettes pick? No. Okay. They All right, were great. down 25-8 on the road and came back to tie the game. Mind you, they didn't finish it, but... <laughs> that shows me that there's something to this team anyway. Okay, well, okay, well, see, for me, it was like, as soon as, okay, the third play, Joe, the third play of the first series of the season, they're taking a safety. I swear to God, after that, I said, is it June yet? I mean, I want this season to be over already. Seriously, you're t- you're talking about like them scoring these points in the end. I mean, but we didn't think much of this Eskimos team last week, um, and I'll talk about the Eskimos again in a minute. But to me, a lot of this was about Vernon Adams Jr. being unprepared for. You know, he comes in the game, he goes seven to ten, gets a touchdown, then throws a couple of picks. You know, he turns into Vernon Adams again. You know, but how often do we see this? You know, the quarterback enters the game, and because he's running with a different game plan, he gets away with a lot of stuff that he doesn't normally do. I mean, it didn't work for the riders, but, but you know, it, it does happen sometimes. So that capable backup comes in. Um, I want to talk, before we move on to the Eskimos, I do want to talk the positives about the Alouettes. How would you like those uniforms? Do you like the white? Really? Oh, okay. See, I, I'm a big fan of the the white uniforms, the all-whites. I really like that look in general. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. Did you see Kari Jones's cap? Uh, I didn't get to watch this one live, and I had to okay. kind of watch it quickly as I right. went. So I wasn't really focused on the little details okay. in this one. So, But I will so- tell you... I have no idea what that thing is supposed to be on the Alouette's helmets. I mean, oh, I've seen the well, pictures see, of it, but good God. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that because, okay, so that hat they got, i got to get this. I mean, it looks like the old um, Expos caps, ah, right? Okay. But instead of the blue on the brim, they have the uh, silver. 
they have the alouette silver, right? Dope cap, right? And in the center is the logo. Now, who designed this helmet? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that like when you smear the design across the helmet like that, there is no angle at which you see it properly. No, and it right? doesn't stick out either because it's dark right. on – it's a lighter color on a very dark helmet, but it's not right. light enough to pop. Like if right. it was right. white, right. if the design was white, at least you could see it a little bit more clearly or yeah, even but around. But I also see what you're getting at. You don't see the full thing yeah. ever. Yeah, there's a reason why, okay, so for example, the NFL, there's a reason why the Rams helmet looks the way it does, or the Vikings helmet, right? Because when those guys go into a crouch, it, it takes on that shape, right? Or a pattern helmet, like the Bengals, right? It's all over the thing, so you can see it, right, from any angle, right? But this thing looks like they're the Montreal Cubists out there. It looks like a bunch of lines across a, a three-dimensional sphere, you know, it's like it's ridiculous. But I, I like the uniforms. I, uh, I'm I'm anxious to see how their home uniforms look in play. I, I'm sure that their helmet is going to be like it's going to be like a silver helmet with that red logo on it, because the logo itself actually looks dope. It looks like a nice it's like a nice abstract bird um, looks really nice. But you couldn't tell from looking at the helmet. <laughs> no, anyway, I, you know. and I don't, and I don't disagree with the idea of having a redesign, especially now if you're trying to rebrand the team altogether. But yeesh, do better. Well, you remember last year. You remember last year, every team broke out a new design, except for the Owls, right? And so this, and, and then last year the Alouettes ran with different uniforms every other game, right? They kept switching up their helmets, right? So they were. They were breaking out all the retro uniforms last year, and this is why. Oh, if only they broke out the full retros! My goodness, they, that'd be <laughs> that'd be something. Well, I was just enjoying the the silver with the white wings. I uh, those are really growing on me. I I wish they'd bring those back. I guess that's still the alternate uniform under the new rubric. But anyway, let's get off of the uni. This is not Uni Watch podcast. This is uh, Rouge White Blue podcast. Okay, so. Let me ask you about this. Okay, so here's what we get for the Eskimos. You know, the, the, the numbers look great, you know, even better than the Tiger Cats did. Um, but, you know, again, it's like I'm, I'm not too confident about this competition. Uh, Trevor Harris, 32 of 41 for 447 yards, three TDs, zero interceptions. 273 yards are to Collins and Stafford. Uh, C.J. Cable was ridiculous. And, and – you know, just look at the first two stats, 20 carries for 154 yards. That's really good. But consider this. His high, his long was only 24. That means he's whipping off like six, seven yards. I mean, it seemed per carry every time. I mean, it seemed to me that he must have had like five or six first downs by himself in this game. I mean, he was just running over the Alouettes. So let me ask you this, Joe. I got two questions for you. All right, because... Last week, of course, we did the season predictions. Neither of us was very high on the Eskimos. Okay, so question one, did we get the Eskimos wrong? And question two, if not, this certainly was their best game of the year, wasn't it? I don't think we got them entirely wrong. Here's why I say that. You pointed out the gaudy, gaudy numbers, but... It felt like this was Ottawa West from last year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, they, that's they what went, it is. They went 11-7, and seven, granted. 
but they lacked killer instinct. They weren't putting teams away when they should have, and it actually cost them badly against Toronto last year, if you remember that. Mm-hmm. They had a lead kind of like they had, man, probably even more so than they had on the Owls. They let the Owls score 17 in the fourth to tie it yeah, before yeah, they yeah, finished yeah, them yeah. off. You're not go- you can't do that. You can't let teams back into games like this. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> I'd love to see more Killer Instinct. That's why I'm so down on them. I feel like the close ones are not going to always bend their way. Right. Right. I, I think I think and, against and, teams and, better than the Alouettes. Yeah. It's never going to go their way. Right. When you get when you get down to it, if you're going to let a team back into a game like that, you might not be the one scoring the final touchdown. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. You're giving up three scores to a second-string quarterback on what most folks think is going to be the worst team in the league. I mean, that's not exactly, you know, holding a lead. In fact, that's the exact opposite of holding a lead. Uh, I don't think uh, – can you imagine, uh, you know, a Bo Levy Mitchell coming back against these guys this season? Because I can. <laughs> you know, I don't think – It'll take much. Uh, speaking of Bo Levy Mitchell, let's talk about this game, which I was really disappointed in. Uh, did you watch this one, Joe? How did you watch this? Uh, how did you watch this one, I should say? Uh, the, I actually caught most of the second half of this one live. Okay. So I saw Calgary sputter. Oh That's what God. it comes sputter. to. Is sputter. They came out of halftime and forgot to offense. <laughs> they came out of the first quarter, dude. They scored – look, they scored 10 points after the first quarter in which they were gifted the ball twice in Ottawa territory by you know, a rookie uh, – not a rookie quarterback, a first-year starting quarterback who I'll talk about in a moment because already he's disappointing me. Um, you know, they scored 10 points after that first quarter in which they scored 18. 10. And the only touchdown – was on that pick six. <laughs> you know? I mean, Ottawa was trying to give these Stampeders points the whole game, and they just weren't taking them. I mean, Trey Roberson had, you know, a target on his chest the whole game. He got three picks. Uh, Brandon Smith got the pick six. Uh, they really made Dominique Davis look bad. I mean, check out Dominique Davis's stats. This is the winning quarterback, 29 of 44 for 276. 276! That's like 9.1 yards per completion. Never mind attempt. Four picks, zero TDs. Although he did score the three short uh, running touchdowns. I mean, (laughs) uh, I, I actually, in my notes, I actually wrote that Calgary should be a little bit embarrassed because Calgary lost to a bad team. Yeah, this was uh, a very uncharacteristic Calgary mm-hmm. game. Uh, mm-hmm. I, well, not from the beginning of the season, not necessarily, because again, right, but, they start slow. They do, right. but this was beyond that. This was beyond that. Right. This was Calgary is usually the team that does what Edmonton doesn't over the last year or so, and that's put teams away when teams need to be put away. Like when they have the chance to put the to step on a team's throat. They generally do it. I remember at least two, maybe even three times, Bo missing a wide-open receiver yeah. in the last uh, four minutes or so. And yeah. any of those completions probably end the game. 
Yeah. Uh, for for all intents and purposes, at least the first couple, there was one where the guy was wide open with the, on the last drive they had. The guy could have probably walked into the end zone from like 60 yards away because he was that open. Mm-hmm. And Bo just missed him. And that's yeah. highly uncharacteristic, too. So, yeah, yeah you're right. That, and he sat like out this, the preseason, right? It felt like he sat out the preseason. Yeah. If, and he made a big deal about it. Oops. So I, I would like to call this one a turtle derby. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. All right. I'll take it. I'll take it. I was just, I was just, you know, disappointed. You know, because the other thing is, is you're talking about how they're playing it. If you remember last year, first four or five games, the offense was doing nothing, and the defense was basically shutting down teams for three quarters until the offense woke up, and they rode like this for a good half the year last year. So I was kind of expecting that. But, like, they're letting a guy like Dominique Davis, like, score touchdowns on them. You know, they're, they're, they're letting him drive the field on this. And it's not like they were overly penalized. I mean, yeah, they had the one late hit. That was bad. But, I mean, geez, the, the, uh, Calgary was the one that was gifted a couple of pass interference calls. <laughs> you know, they got big gains off of that. I think their biggest – well, their second biggest play of the game was a 45-yard pass interference call. So it was like – Man, I just this was not the Stampeders. This was I mean, yeah, they lost over half their starters from last year, but wow. Wow, this is not what I'm used to. It's week one. Yeah, it's definitely week one, and Ottawa's defense is full marks for keeping Calgary off the bo- keeping Calgary's offense off the board in the second half. Let's not forget that. But well, I, I mean, look, think... I'm expecting I'm expecting great things from this defense. I mean, this is Noel Thorpe, right? So okay. so I'm expecting the Red Blacks to have one of the better defenses in the East, you know, uh, that we've seen in the past few years. And that's on Ottawa. But yet, I mean, I think that's what, because I don't know if this quarterback is going to cut it. Yeah. Davis. I, I will say I mean, the I over say under on Jennings has got to be two and a half games right now. Yeah, I I will say if I'm an Ottawa fan, I'm not overly celebrating the fact. uh, Yes, they did go into Calgary and they did win, but I'm not sitting there going, oh, we must be one of the best teams in the CFL after that performance. Uh, I would reserve that judgment for I would reserve that judgment for a few weeks for sure. Uh, No, yeah, absolutely not. I thought at least I thought at least the Lions look better losing. And the Alouettes superseded expectations more than the Red Blacks did. So, you know, I this is not this is a fairy victory for Ottawa. Lots more football to play, and wow, if this is their best game, they got some work to do. Right, and the last one, Joe, Winnipeg Blue Bombers thirty-three, BC Lions twenty-three. Take it away, buddy. Okay, so Winnipeg the first quarter. Both teams were kind of feeling each other out. Not many points scored, a BC field goal. But Winnipeg then took most of the second quarter for themselves. Let BC back in with a big kick return and kind of lost momentum until halftime. But once halftime hit, uh, they took the game right back over. And at no Mm -hmm. point during that game, even when BC was uh, stirring at the end of the second quarter, did I feel... Besides the first quarter just feeling like, oh my god, this is the end of the world because I have such expectations for this team this year. Once the first quarter was over, it's like, okay, this team's got a handle on things. We're good to go here. 
They, they sure do. The one of the things that I've loved about the Bombers this past three years is, man, they hit the ground running. Yeah, this literally. this team looks like they're playing week. Yeah, it looks like they're playing week uh, twelve last year. You know, it's amazing. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, I had this stat. Hang on, just a second. I was going to do this last, but let's do this here. Yes. Okay. This game again is a classic. This is what the Bombers do. Uh, in twenty four of the last thirty seven games. They've scored 28 or more points, and they're on an 11-0 and run when they score 29 or more. The last time they lost and they scored more than that was, do you remember? I probably blocked it out for my own sanity. Week one against Mike Riley last year. So they got the measure of revenge. But yeah, 11 and 0. Now, of course, that sounds impressive. You know, CFL is very high scoring. But let me tell you something. In those 37 games, in fact, in those last 11 games, a lot of those teams have also scored more than 28 or 29 points. Okay, so it's not like the Bombers are just squeaking it out with four touchdowns a game. This is, I love the scoreboard spinners. I said this last week. I mean, this team is going to spin the scoreboard this year. Yay, great. That's the Bombers. That's this team. I love it. Um, I, I just also wanted to say that, Joe, I want to give you props. You nailed both of these teams. <laughs> that the Bombers uh, are more or less the team to beat and that the BC Lions look scary, but they're going to take some time to gel. Uh, there were points in this game when uh, Riley and company looked awesome. Uh, Riley ended up with a pretty decent stat line, 23 of 39 for 324 yards, one touchdown, but two interceptions. Um, but here's the thing. All of those completions went to a Burnham Carter and Durant. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not that. 293 of the 321 yards went to those three guys, mm-hmm. Burnham Carter and Durant. So the big free agent signings. Um, so I think that BC can only get better. I think that Winnipeg, the schedule makers did Winnipeg good by giving them BC in this first game. I, I, I mean, I would no, say so. Yes. Yeah. No. No. No skin off of what Winnipeg did because that was impressive. This is BC at home. You know, this is a night game at home. So you know, to say that Winnipeg's win is impressive is almost an understatement. But I did want to give one more props too. How about Brandon Rutley? How about Brandon with that uh, 108-yard kickoff return? Um, I actually picked. Uh, we talked about our our ballot for the CFL poll for the upcoming season. And my comeback play of the year was Brandon Rutley. Uh, this is a guy who's been playing for how many years now? Seven seasons. He's He's got seven seasons under his belt, and he's been injured most of these seven seasons. I mean, he's lost, like, I think three full seasons, plus most of the last two years. Uh, but he had a really good game on special teams this game. So I'm pulling... I'm pulling for Mr. Ratley, the former Alouette. Um, what were your uh, impressions of the BC Lions in this game, or do you only have eyes for Bombers? Can I make a couple more points about the Bombers first before I go to the Lions? <laughs> I actually do have a couple of things Please do, Joe. here. Please do. Because the Matt Nichols that showed up uh, this past Saturday looked – and Nichols didn't have a bad year last year, save for about a month where he couldn't make the big play when it mattered. Uh, but this game, he looked a whole lot more mobile. 
he's got he's had a chance to let that knee heal now from the beginning of the last season. Uh, he looked a whole lot more mobile and just a whole lot more in charge. It, it was very impressive. I'm sitting here looking at the stats for the first time in this game, and I'm shocked he only had 184 yards. Yeah. Because he just yeah. had it going. Well, Harris was awesome. Yes, it, it wasn't. Too. It wasn't. It wasn't so much Nichols. It was Nichols Harris. You know, that's the thing. You got to get that rhythm. You got to get that duo flowing, both of them at the same time. And I'll tell you what. I mean, I mean, stats aside, this was one of the best games I've seen on Nichols. Yep. And I mean, he had that nice game last year where the, the late game comeback. That was a nice game in overtime. Yeah. But um, I mean, just as a leader, just as flow, just as you know, never a question that this dude was keeping his team in this game and ahead. Uh, just great, fantastic. He outdueled Mike Riley. Yeah. Despite and the- one more thing to remember, the Bombers scored the most points out of any team in the league last year. Uh, that's oh, yeah. something that may not be top right off the top of your head on that, but they kept that team together. The team that scored the most points last year, they kept that offense together and improved it. And did you see that offensive line? The three, yeah. the three middle players, the guards in the center. All new for that team? Whew. They didn't look new. It was nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Didn't miss a beat. Didn't miss a beat. Again, they're still playing last season, uh, except that they didn't lose in the playoffs like they did last season. Okay. Um, and on to. Did, and on, I mean, oh, go ahead. But you were just going to say um, this is the same offense as last year, but it's not, right? It's improved. Well, yeah, but they're missing Weston Dressler. Nobody even noticed. And last year, he was so important. I mean, he wasn't a huge stat guy, but he was so important to stretching that field, to presenting opportunities to Nichols. And you know what? Here, Didn't even miss here's him. Who's, Didn't even here's, miss him. Who, here's why you're not missing him. Drew Wolitarski is taking his role. Yeah. He's the guy that's taking yeah. – that's being the safety valve. He's the guy getting open and getting those 10-yard gains, moving the chains when the big plays aren't downfield. Yep, and getting those short touchdowns. That was Andrew Harrison 2017. It was Dressler last year, and it's going to be Woltarski this year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. He's the breakout guy. I wish I could go back in time and uh, change my ballot in this respect. But, yeah, he's your breakout player of the year, I think. Yeah. I think you're right, Joe. Uh, this is this is really going to be key to the Bombers this year, and the Bombers are going to be good this year. So uh, are you nervous at any point that – because, you know, things being what they are, at some point, you may need to rely on Strever. If it's for a month, I'm okay. Anything more than that, I'm a little bit worried. Okay. Wow. Wow. The process has people believing because if, in Matt because Nichols. Because if they can go two for two, if uh, assuming Nichols is out for four games is what, you, is what you're asking. That's the question. Yeah. Say, if he's out for four say. games and they go two and two, they should be fine the rest of the way. If it's longer than that, I have some worries. Uh I do have a few thoughts on BC too. I know I interrupted yeah. your question from before. I'm no, no, no. You—it's your year, Joe. As far as I'm concerned, on this podcast, it's your year. It's a shame that we started this podcast after Thirteenth Man, <laughs> because I would really like my team to have a year. But anyway, go ahead. So go. I'm really yeah. glad to see that BC brought in Sergio Castillo. That guy's deserved a job mm. for the last five years, and he looks like he's finally got one. He can—he can call his own. Did he did the job pretty well, and BC was overly reliant on Riley. They were they did not even try to have a running game. 
and that made yes. it easier. Not that not that Winnipeg was knocking him on his butt. They were not getting into the backfield too much, but they were able, just knowing he was going to throw every play, to blanket the receivers enough to make uh, Riley less effective. Yeah, and it was only the three receivers. Right. He was only using right. three receivers, and let, this right. is exactly the point I made last week, is it's going to take some time for all of these moving parts right. to come together. Once they do, I'm scared of this team, but they haven't yeah. yet. Yeah, Javon Katsoy, who's uh, a Canadian rookie, who's one of the more heralded uh, offensive Canadian rookies in a long time. Uh, you know, he got he got a few snaps, but he only got one catch. And I mean, this is a guy who, by the end of the season, should be incorporated into the offense a lot more. And by all accounts, this dude is going to be awesome. Uh, he had a fantastic last half of last uh, college Canadian college football season and playoffs. He was just outstanding. So uh, a lot of local press is really leaning on this kid. But again, you know, uh, I think there were three receptions thrown to other receivers. And one of them was White, John White, who I was I mean, this was the thing I was tearing my hair out about. Okay, I know we have this new toy. I know that we ha- at quarterback. I know that we have this big three in the receiving core. Okay, but Jesus, why did you sign John White if you're not going to use him? Now, on the other hand, and I don't know if this is correct because I did not look this up, but isn't it? It's my recollection that John White just doesn't usually play very well against Winnipeg. I think you're wrong on that. He's usually kicking our butt. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. So what do I know? Then how do you explain the fact that he gets four carries and 20 total yards? <laughs> because BC's shiny new toy is uh, Mike yeah, Riley. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But see, obviously they're not going to. They, if they can't go on that and home field and win, well, I mean, you've got to be able – if you can't score 30 points with that, you're not going to beat Winnipeg. Right? So I guess you've got to change that in the future. But I think this offense will expand and grow. As the season goes, I can't wait to see uh, what's the last game between BC and Winnipeg this year. What week is that? Do you know? Oh, I have the schedule up right now. Let me just Great. scroll. Week 15 or so. Let's see. We are at. That'll be a great game. I think you might be on to something here. Let's see. Not, not even, not even 15, 14. 13? No, we're, wow. we're before Labor Day. Uh, wow. Let's see. Yeah, it is BC Winnipeg Week 10. Wow, that's very interesting. So basically, you're going to be halfway done the season. You're going to be done with BC, and the West might come down to those two teams. How interesting. I could see that. Interesting. And yeah. If, and the earlier in the season, the better, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Well, yeah, but yeah, because they won't meet with playoff implications on the line. So basically, their destinies may be set by, you know, week 10 vis-a-vis each other for sure. You want to see In any you case, want to hear one other interesting scheduling piece here? If we're go. talking about the West going forward, yeah, weeks 19 yeah, and sure. 20, home and home, Winnipeg, Calgary. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, boy, that's going to be important. There's going to be seeding stuff all over that. Okay, Joe, so let me ask you this before we go to the future. What, if anything, would you change now about your preseason predictions? Everything? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I don't know if anything here has made me want to change anything drastically yet. 
Do you still think Saskatchewan can go nine and nine? I do. Okay. Oh, all right. Confident. I like it. I like it. I think I, uh, maybe I nudge Edmonton up a game or two and nudge Calgary down a game or two. I thought what I saw. Maybe mm. nudge Saskatchewan down a game or two. But I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, it's five and thirteen time now for somebody. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, I had Calgary in second place, but now I've got them in fifth. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm not ready to pull that kind of trigger yet. Yeah, Ask me I again in a month, though. I should ask you again in a week, because in all fairness, Toronto hasn't played, unless you count the Raptors last week. My man Rod Black, he was classic. At the end of the first quarter, okay, in the Montreal game, which of course they have him do, because they have him do every Montreal game, just to torment me. Uh, They had him in there, and at the end of the first quarter, he was complaining about how tired he was. Because he had covered the Raptors the night before. And that, you know, he was partying and stuff. And I was just like, Rod, man, dude, you're one quarter into the CFL season. You better get your stamina up. And then I was thinking the next night they had him doing the BC game, right? So they had him going from Toronto to Montreal to BC on back-to-back-to-back nights. Do you think TSN is trying to get him to quit, Joe? I don't think so. I don't think Damn. they – I don't really think they had the Raptors in their plans when they laid out the CFL schedule. <laughs> okay. This is true. This is. I, I thought maybe they just slated into BC at the last minute. Like, uh, yeah, Rod, can you cross the country again, please? Well, the, <laughs> really, the other, just overnight, the other no option problem. was Calgary. So really at that point, why not go for the whole enchilada? <laughs> You got it. All right, let's go to a break, and we'll talk next week's games after this. Oz Davis and my co-host Joe Pritchard. Let's talk next week's games. I think I'm going to pass this one over to you first, Joe. Let let me just say first, uh, we're opening on Thursday again with Saskatchewan. Five and a half point underdogs at Ottawa in a game that few, I think, are clamoring for. The over-under is 44. Uh, take the uh, take the under for one. You think? I don't yeah, okay. know about the five and a half, but I do have Ottawa winning this one. Yes. Okay. I'll buy that all the way. I I'll, I'll say Ottawa wins it based. Although I can't imagine Ottawa two and zero. I'll take Ottawa covering home field. Yeah, under is good. And I also wanted to say I couldn't find any specific props on turnovers. But I'd be more than willing to bet that I think we're going to see a lot of turnovers in this yeah, game. Take the over on that. Um, and <laughs> once uh, it'll take a few weeks before Saskatchewan settles on either Harker or Bennett going forward. Mm-hmm. I don't see Fajardo being the guy there for very long. Uh, and Ottawa's got the home field advantage. They do have the fact that they do have Jennings to pull off the bench if Davis throws another four picks, which he very well might do against the Saskatchewan defense. Mm. I just don't see the Riders going on the road with their backup quarterback and winning anywhere right now. Right, right, right. 
And, uh, yeah, and I don't see either of these offenses generating much points for the offense. I'd say if you're playing fantasy ball this weekend and you gotta you got to take a defense, you might want to take one of these defenses based on points and turnovers alone. Uh, I don't. I'm not really playing fantasy. Are you playing fantasy this year, Joe? Yeah, I haven't touched it. Uh, just the weekly thing just doesn't get me. I like the year long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't stand either one to be honest. I think they're way too much like gambling. I like traditional gambling a lot better. As people know who listen to this podcast, I am a degenerate. On Friday night, it's BC Lions four-point underdogs at Edmonton. I personally do not understand this line at all. I mean, I know that, in my opinion, despite the results, despite BC losing and Edmonton winning, I thought that BC looked better at times than Edmonton did most of that game. Uh, I think uh, you got to consider the competition in both of these things. And the thing is this. Mike Riley came out recently. It was either today when we were recording this. was just Wednesday the 19th or the day before yesterday um, that he's expecting to be booed throughout this game. But you know what? He's going to Edmonton. This is June. I don't think he's going to be shaken by this. And I don't think his team's going to be shaken by this. I'm going to take BC to win outright. I'll definitely take him plus the four. I'm going to take Edmonton here uh, for okay. two reasons. Well, maybe even three, but let's go with two first. <laughs> Again, BC is doesn't have their stuff together quite yet. They're still feeling okay. each other out and still figuring things out. It's going to be a hostile environment in week two. Edmonton's going to have a lot of emotion on their side because they're going to want to show that they can win without Mike Riley. And they want to show their fan base that everything's going to be okay. And the third thing is, um, it's, it is, again a road game for BC. They don't tend to do as well on those yet. And we're going to see an 0-2 BC team and a 2-0 Edmonton team, and that still wouldn't be enough to make me change where I think they end up. Right. But early in the season, <laughs> I could see the chips falling that way. See, I was just about to point this out to you. You've got two teams going sub-500, yet starting 2-0. That's a distinct possibility <laughs> but we'll see how the season shakes out uh, if, if i'm going to be wrong about any team this year it'll probably be edmonton i think but yeah i think yeah i want to yeah, see yeah. how i want to see some killer instinct out of them and th that would go uh, i'll be honest if they win a tight one and pull out pull it out in the last few minutes that would go a long way to tell to telling me that they got that uh, but I seem to remember just from my readings last summer that uh, the old Ottawa Rough Riders used to like to start the season off like 2-0 and or 3-1 and <laughs> and then not win a game for the rest of the year. So right. it starts like a 2-0, and 3-1 and start it really isn't going to get me too shaken about things. Right. Uh, ask me again about week six or week seven. Right, yeah, see, that's the thing. As Americans, we're kind of spoiled by that, right? Because four is significant. Four games is significant, right? Because that's the quarter of the season in the NFL, right? But here, I mean, you know, not to be pedantic about it, but it's less than a quarter of the season, right? And, and you know, the, the truth is we've learned in the CFL that more or less, unless you're playing behind the Stampeders line, you are going to need that backup quarterback to put in a couple of starts. So... You know, four games is not necessarily an indicator of success. What's wild is this. Can you imagine a future in which 
the Red Blacks are two and zero, but Jennings starts in week three. I can't. Well, they, he, he, <laughs> of course, no, I, I, I that can't insane? actually because Ottawa no, doesn't play week three. Well, okay, but you know, game three, game three. Okay, let's say talk about being pedantic. <laughs> Jesus, you're really making me look bad. All right. Saturday, we're closing out the weekend. Finally, the Argonauts get to play. They're hosting the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Hamilton Tiger Cats are three and a half point favorites. And just my gut instinct here is that the fact that the bookmakers have the Tiger Cats as three and a half point favorites, as visitors in a home opener against the team that had week one off says a lot about the perception of the Argonauts. Um, the Tiger Cats, like I say, the Tiger Cats looked good last weekend. Yeah, the competition was dubious, but uh, I think that, you know, I've got them winning the East. They seem to be the class of the East. I don't see why they don't win this game against a team that might bring what? Might bring 9,000 to this game. I'm actually turning this one over to my head because it's the kind of game I could see Hamilton dropping just because right. they, they're they not going to run away with this right. because they just don't do that. And they didn't play that well last week. I'm going to take the Argos. What the hell? Wow. Awesome. All right. All right. You got to take them straight up? Yeah. Let's so, do it. In other words, to win? Wow. All right, Joe. Are you playing CFL pick I this am. Year? I actually have to enter those okay. things. I'm going to be doing that as okay. soon as the show is over. <laughs> now that you're committed, right? Yep. Uh, now I won't release this show until Thursday. So. No, uh, I, I, I'm in now. <laughs> okay. You can, I can still edit. <laughs> nope. Uh, okay. In. So you're two and two, right? You went two and two last Two and two, week, right? yep. Of course, I was one and three because we differed on the BC game. I knew I should have taken Edmonton to win, but at least I got Montreal covering. So that was, you know, as far as my wallet is concerned, the, the betting wasn't too easy in this week. But uh, I was, again, I wasn't too surprised by the outcomes. Were you? Were you really surprised by anything in week one? Yeah, Ottawa winning. Uh, I was absolutely surprised. I by guess, that. yeah. I guess. I guess, yeah. Any other year, it wouldn't have been as surprising, I guess, because it seems to me they play often at the beginning of the season because they're always replaying the Grey Cup game. So they always get one of the first three games against each other. Yeah, and (laughs) I actually just entered the Pickums as we're talking here, and the first two games this week are basically coin tosses as far as the CFL community is concerned. And Toronto's got 17% of people picking them, so... 17 percent wow okay so you're one out of six joe i like to think <laughs> of myself more as one in a million yeah well one in six million even okay let's uh let's get out of here on that note uh joe what do you got to say for yourself as we close this off besides go bombers uh yeah the, the week two buy kind of sucks having only three <laughs> yeah, games a week two kind of sucks but well, uh, and we're going to see two teams at 2-0 and that I picked to go, what, 7-11 and and 5-13 and respectively, so I'm doing well so far. Week two buy sucks, but I'll tell you what, fans of the Alouettes and the Stampeders don't necessarily agree this week, I think. We could both already use a retooling of those two franchises a little bit. 
I'm Oz Davis. I'll be signing off for the Rouge, White, and Blue CFL podcast for this week. Join us again next week when we talk about the same kind of stuff. Because that's what we do. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.